Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Joshua Skoda Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening to all the episodes if you have. I really appreciate it. Um, Today's podcast is brought to you by me. <laughs> um, On this episode, uh, I interview a friend of mine uh, named Erica Sancliffe. She is a winemaker at Trombetta Wines, and she's also uh, a wine consultant uh, winemaker for numerous brands uh, throughout uh, Sonoma County. Um, yeah, we um, we just you know wanted to. I wanted to interview because I don't know much about wine. One, and um, you know, I didn't know that she was a winemaker. I knew she was in the wine business, but um. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Learned a lot. Um, learned how she got into it. Uh, learned um, that the the Trombetta uh, wines is her family winery. So um, yeah, she she's been in the wine business for a long time. She grew up in it. So um, it was really fun uh, talking with her about it and her experiences. And um, you know, I asked her how things were going now with you know, COVID uh, protocols that they had to do and and the fires that happened uh, for the past, I don't know, three to four years here. So uh, she talks about that. But uh, she's, you know, she's a very passionate person, uh, very passionate about what she does, and she loves doing it. I mean, you don't find many people out there that love doing what they do, and especially in, especially in this industry. I mean, you, you got to have a passion for the the wine, I mean, I mean, I don't have a passion for it. I mean, it's just alcohol to me. But, <laughs> anyways, um, so yeah, again, um, thank you everyone for listening. I uh, really do appreciate it. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, hope you're getting your vaccination. I got mine. Uh, I did the one shot, one shot vaccination. Uh, it was pretty painless. So, the wife just got the second. So we'll see how she does today. But um, hope you're all being safe. You know we're getting we're getting there, people. It's I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see it. It looks so beautiful. Um. So yeah. Uh. Hope you're all safe. Thank you again so much for listening and enjoy, and be safe. Love you guys. Thanks for coming on. Third time's a charm for us. Yeah. Uh, this. Uh, for uh, just the sake of what, what I mean by the third time, people listening is like, so I reached out to you the first time. And then I, was it me that I couldn't, I, I think it was me that I couldn't show up. Yeah. I had something to do. And then the second time I reached out, I was like, hey, you want to go try it again? And she's like, yeah, sure. And then you said, I can't do it. Something came up. And I'm like, totally fine. And then I was like, all right, third time, it's got to work this time. And it was like, yes, let's do it. And so here we are now with Erica. Um, the reason I asked you to come on is because I like to interview people. I mean, most of the people I've interviewed are my friends, but I think they're interesting. Uh, you know, everyone has something something going on in their life that's interesting to me and I want to know more about it. So that's why I asked you, you know, we haven't hung out as much these past years just because, you know, life yeah. and crazy pandemics and crazy things just happening. But I, I honestly did not know that you, I knew you're in the wine industry. But I didn't know that you were so involved in what you do. Like you, you make it like, and I don't, I don't know anyone that makes wine. I know one person that was in the wine industry, but she was a chemist. So she just tested the wine and that was it. So like, for me, I, I, the wine industry is so, so big. And so just like, like, what is it? How do you do it? I mean, you can Google it obviously, but I'd rather hear from 
from the people to actually do it. So um, I'm just going to ask, like, how did you get into this and what, like, how did you just become a winemaker? That's, I guess, the one of the big questions I'm going to ask. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Forceville, which of course is right in the heart of the Russian River Valley. I mean, mm -hmm. I grew up two miles from the river. Like we used okay. to bike down there after school. Yeah. And, whatnot. and my parents loved wine. So when okay. I was growing up, they were home winemakers. They had a little tiny vineyard planted on the front property, um, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Merlot grapes. And a lot of my childhood, I remember going over to a very good friend of the family's home, which he lived on uh, Vine Hill Road, like kind of in that weird triangle of, is it Sebastopol? Yeah, is it Sebastopol? Yeah, is it Santa Rosa area? Yeah, and so um, his name's Carmine Indendoli, and he has a small vineyard on the property. And so he was an engineer at Hewlett Packard, where my dad was an engineer, and my okay. mother worked in human resources. So it was like, this whole group got together and would go to Carmine's house and learn how to make wine. So my childhood memories are running around Carmine's property with this like pack of wild children as their parents are, you know, harvesting the grapes and, and harvesting, drinking the wine. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. um, so my parents, you know, I was raised around it for the most part, but what really got me into the industry was I was figuring out what I wanted to do with my life because, you know, we put all this pressure on kids in high school, like figure out what you want to do and go to college, mm -hmm. go to the right school and mm -hmm. you need to know what you want to be when you grow up at 15, 16 years old. And um, my mom in the late 90s started working for Paul Hobbs, who's a very famous, well-known winemaker, especially yeah. um, he's a one of the top five global consulting winemakers, but he also has a massive presence in Napa Valley and he also has a winery in Sebastopol so right by mm -hmm. Grayton and so Paul and my family were very close my mother worked for him for many years and one day after high school because <laughs> my mom was terrified to teach me how to drive so she just made Paul do it. <laughs> I'm like great okay and my dad was like oh whatever if I don't have to teach you that's great so um <laughs> Paul would, you know, like pick me up after school and teach me how to drive, but we were walking a vineyard in Sebastopol and it was a Chardonnay vineyard. We're getting close to harvest. It's like August, mm -hmm. mid-August, and he's tasting the berries and walking around the vineyard. And there was just this, so much passion in what he was doing. And I started asking him questions. I'm like, well, what are you looking for? What are you tasting? Yeah. What are you, you know, what, what are you going to do when this comes in for, when the grapes get harvested and kind of talking to him about winemaking in general. And that's where the light bulb went off for me, where mm -hmm. it was like, you mean every season is different and I get to make something with my hands and I'm not sitting at a desk all day, like sign me up. Yeah. This sounds amazing. So um, I really attribute that moment to the light bulb where I decided what I wanted to do. And then I went to school at Fresno state, which has an amazing enology program. And I chose Fresno because unlike Davis or Cal Poly didn't have a program at the time. And let's be honest, I was not yeah. getting into Cornell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Fresno actually has a bonded winery on the property and okay. vineyards. So the students learn firsthand how to make the wine because Fresno actually bottles and sells its own wine. Oh, okay. so it was very hands-on, very practical approach. And I fell in love with it and just never looked back after I decided what I wanted to do. That's awesome. That's, that's really awesome because I mean, not many people like one know what they want to do when, you know, when you're 15 or 16, but you got, you got the experience firsthand of what an actual wine, like an owner, you know, winemaker does and like asking him questions right there on the spot of like in his vineyard. And like, I mean, if that, if that doesn't like, that's just amazing. I think that's the coolest thing like to ever like experience with like your your job and like so yeah, kudos to you on on finding your your little niche in that. <laughs> um yeah, so you you said you went to Fresno State. What uh, what was what did you study there again? He said it was actually enology. So enology, okay. Winemaking. Winemaking, okay. Yeah. And we had viticulture classes as well. So I definitely got to like one of my classes 
our final was to prune the vineyard. So we okay. went out into the table grape side and had to prune a, prune a specific way. And then we went to the vineyard side for the grapes, uh, the wine grapes, and, act, and had to prune that a different way. So we learned a lot about vineyard management, soil and the plants. And then mm -hmm. basically I was too lazy to do this, but I was one class away from being a chemistry minor because okay. <laughs> as, a, as a senior, I was not about to take another, another organic like, chemistry lab at eight o'clock in the morning. Like that was oh, just not happening for me. That sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. It, the amount of chemistry and biochemistry, like biology, microbiology, all of that, that I had to take, I, mm -hmm. it was kind of a joke that the professors would go, so who's pre-med and half the class would raise their hand who's in enology in the other class and the other half would raise their hand and it was okay we're grading you on two different curves because you guys are going to be saving lives and you guys are making wine and it was like perfect <laughs> <laughs> that was funny like yeah you guys are gonna be saving lives you guys are going to be helping them save lives with yeah. your wine and stuff like that so that's awesome so after like after college what did you did you have like did you have to do like an internship at a winery place? And like, if you did, like, where did you go to do so that? It's, it's kind of common in our industry where you, you graduate from school if you decide to go the school route, because there are plenty mm -hmm. of people who don't, and mm -hmm. there's still a place for people without a degree in the industry, which is great. But um, it's very common for people to do a harvest, one or two harvests before they try to find a full-time job. So yeah. I graduated um, in the fall semester, which means, so I graduated four and a half years. I took what was normally a five-year major and turned it into four and a half, graduated in December, and then um, went down to Argentina and worked a South Hemisphere harvest. Oh, so, oh okay. Um, Paul Hobbs, my mentor, has a winery down in Mendoza. And oh, it was okay. really cool because, well, it was really amazing to see because Argentina is kind of this rustic, like, old world meets new world technology mm -hmm. how to collide argentina is an amazing country i of course went down being the blonde little gringa that i was not speaking <laughs> any spanish because yeah. high school erica thought it was a great idea to take french yeah <laughs> i mean like who does i i don't even think i took a language in high school because i was just like i'm, I'm not going to use it when am i going to use it but now i'm like i should have taken spanish at some I point so. Yeah, I, I really wish I had taken Spanish, but um, I learned it while I was down there. My Spanish yeah. is so horrible to this day, but I tried, well, you know? I mean, you, you got a crash course in it. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I'd rather take a crash course in the foreign language than just like sit in a classroom and try yeah. to learn. Exactly. It's a lot easier to learn that way. And then once I got done with that internship, I actually came home took a two-month break and then sorry my dog is under the desk so oh, it's all right rattling the table, <laughs> rattling the table. Uh, so I took like two months off and then did a harvest in Napa so I got two okay. harvests done in one year wow. which was really great because then I got to you know basically cram two years of harvest internships into one which was really awesome and then That's of course awesome. to travel was super fun that's great. So you said you got two harvests in one year, right? So the one in Argentina, obviously, their fall is our spring. Is that was that is that correct? Okay. Yes, yeah, so they harvest in like February, March time frame. Okay. Um, because yeah, their their heat, their middle of summer is December, January. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Southern Hemisphere harvests. That's crazy spring for us and then we of course harvest in the fall like September October if if you had to compare the two uh saying how we harvest and how they harvest what what is there similarities or is there like you know they do something different than we do just because of the hemisphere there and just the way the climate is down there I mean, it's really different so in Argentina because they're right off the Andes mountains they have the gale winds that come off of the mountains, which are very strong, but mm -hmm. in the winter time, they actually have hail that will come down like the size of grapefruits oh, in wow. some situations. So they actually have nets over the entire vineyard and they have nets in all of their carports so that your cars don't get banged oh, up wow. and destroyed. Um, but kind of like I said of how it's old world meets new world, mm -hmm. Argentina, 
Argentina has been a very isolated country. I don't know how it is now, but when I was down there in 2011, they didn't have a lot of new technology. They were a very isolated country. So it was very hard to get anything that wasn't manufactured in Argentina. It was a very, very long and bureaucratic process where you had to pay off a lot of people in order to get oh. something in from out of the country. Okay. So they, um, they did a lot of stuff by hand. And we up in, you know, in Sonoma and Napa, we do a lot of harvesting by hand as well. But for us, it's a lot different because we have, you know, the tractors and we have mm -hmm. so much more to kind of help with that. Whereas in Argentina, I mean, you're going as fast as you can go because you maybe yeah. have one tractor in this massive vineyard and you have people harvesting and going at a very slow speed because, you know, they can't harvest in the dead of night like we do because they yeah. don't have LED light bars to go out yeah, into the vineyards sure. or things like that. Um, the other difference was between the two, both were very high-end wineries, but the Argentine winery was a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we actually ran a AM shift and a PM shift, and we were harvesting and sorting fruit 24 hours a day. So wow. we would circulate, you know, one crew would come in, usually it was the Argentine interns would come mm -hmm. in at like 8 AM and work till 6 p.m. and then the internationals which was of course my group would mm -hmm. come in at like 6 p.m. and then work until 7 a.m. kind of yeah, thing wow. so we would just constantly kind of rotate like that yeah whereas in napa our team was so small and we had such amazing technology that the fruit would show up in a refrigerated truck at like 6 or 7 a.m. we would start harvesting it or start sorting it at like 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. and then be done by four p.m. So we would never really have to be there until yeah. two or three in the morning, aside from wow. maybe a few little tank movements or whatever we had to do for the wine and tank. Is uh, that the, in Argentina, what, what kind of wine were you making there? It was mostly um, Bordeaux blends. So a lot of okay. Malbec, of course, that's what Argentina is very famous for, but a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc, Merlot, and then we did have some Chardonnay, and that was just specific to the region I was in. Um, Argentina is also known for their Sauvignon Blanc, which is a little mm -hmm. more north, and then um, some parts of Argentina now are starting to do like Pinot Noir and kind okay. of play with other varietals, but very Malbec and Cab Sauv heavy. Nice. nice. Um, what is, what is like your, as a winemaker, what is your like day-to-day -day like what's like a day in a winemaker's life for you? It like, totally depends on the season. Um, okay. right now, and how about, how about, how about, let's, let's, let's try, let's do harvest. Like, what okay. is that like for a winemaker in harvest? <laughs> harvest is what I like to call controlled chaos because it's completely <laughs> chaotic, but you at least have an idea of what you're getting yourself into. Um, so typically my mornings will start between like four or five in the morning. I'll go out and try to walk two or three vineyards before I go into the winery. And so what I'm looking at is how close is the fruit to being ripe and being ready to harvest. Um, you know, constantly looking at the weather to see if, do we have a heat spike coming? Is it going to be nice and cool for the next few days? How will that affect the sugars and the vines. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I'm done walking vineyards and maybe sampling some of the grapes where I'll pull some grapes off into bags and then run um, sugar and pH and TA on them. So I know the sugar versus acid, um, I'll go into the winery. And then if we've already started processing fruit, um, I try to get there before any of the fruit arrives. Once the fruit arrives, we weigh it and then we put it across the sorting line. So we have people manually, um, the bins get dumped out on the sorting line. And it's like this long conveyor belt mm -hmm. and people are pulling out leaves or we call it mog materials other than grapes. Mm -hmm. So if there's leaves or, you know, like some of the bird netting accidentally got clipped, things like that. Or if clusters, you know, sometimes it happens where clusters will come in and they'll have a little bit of a, botrytis mold on them or um, powdery mildew, things like that, because, you know, this is a food product. So of yeah. course there's tons of things can happen in the vineyard. Yeah, of course. Um, so it gets sorted. And then once everything is sorted, it goes through, um, and this is for 
red grapes, it'll go through a destemmer, which will pull the stems off the berries, and then the berries get sent to the tank, and we fill tanks as we go. And then from there, it's kind of this hopscotching of, do we have enough space? What do we need to do to start fermentation? What tanks are still in cold soak? So it's just kind of this circular thing of trying to hopscotch new fruit coming in, the active fermentations you have, the ones that are about to be fermented or the wines that are about to be pressed off and then put to barrel. Um, and then just trying to keep that all organized and do whatever movements the tank needs throughout the day. Um, we touch cold soaking tanks once a day, the fermenting tanks three times a day, and then the wines that are about to be pressed, we have to kind of play with the press schedule because of how many lots will be in the winery. Um, and then there's a lot of cleaning. It's a lot of cleaning, a lot of organization, and a lot of trying to plan on the calendar you know, what vineyard do you think you're going to harvest this week? What blocks you might harvest that week? And just trying to put your best laid plan out, out knowing yeah. that things will change in a moment's notice, but at least you tried to organize. Yeah, for sure. So it, it, it sounds like you at least, you guys are at least having a plan yeah. there. If something changes, obviously you have to adjust, but it sounds like, it, I mean, to me, it doesn't sound like organized chaos. It sounds like pretty organized to me but it's just with a little bit of like oh this may change tomorrow but like you just have to be prepared for the next day or just what could come that happen so yeah I mean all it takes is a heat spike that you weren't mm -hmm. expecting you know for you to change your entire pick pattern or for a piece of equipment to go down in the middle of a day which has happened before yeah. or of course if you live in California and deal with PG&E to have PG a power outage. Power in the outage, of course. Can't deal with anything. Um, obviously last year with COVID was bad enough and the fires, but then last year we use a lot of dry ice, which is just solid CO2. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, the whole like, um, the whole foggy, misty uh, yeah, of course. Punch kind of thing. And so we use a lot of dry ice, but last year there was a dry ice shortage. So we didn't have any dry ice and it was really? like all kind of problem solving because the plants that they used to capture the CO2 were closed because of the stay at home order. Oh. So it's like just things like that, that sound so minor that just can completely derail your process. Wow. It's kind of insane how, how small it could be. It could even be something as simple as you know, the vineyard manager calls and says, hey, my tractor's not working today. We're going to have to harvest tomorrow. But you already have four vineyards coming in tomorrow. So now you have <laughs> yeah. to completely reorganize your plan with your yeah. team and, you know, things like that. Wow, that's crazy. I never, I mean, I knew there's a lot that goes into it, but like the way you describe it is like anything could happen at any moment. And then like you have to push back your harvest or you have to push back which bit nuts. That's insane. I could it is, I guess now it is a little organized chaos, so. Yeah, no, that's a joke. I say that for winemaking, Murphy's Law applies times 10. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So wrong. our jobs as winemakers during harvest is to be problem solvers. That's okay. like about 90% of our job is like, <laughs> okay, we have another hurdle. How do we get over this and move forward? Like that's for just sure. what we do on a daily basis. For sure. So what, so after harvest what it was what is it like at like after harvest like is it like a little more calmer or is it just like now we have to plan on what we're going to make for next harvest or is it's just something else entirely it, it's a little bit of everything um once harvest is done and everything's put into barrel or wherever it's going to be stored to age then you start the process of um you know looking at how much you made, how many vessels you have, do you, you know, did you need more barrels? Do you have enough barrels? Planning for the next harvest, taking care of all the wine in barrels because you have to run analysis on those like once every three, week, uh, three weeks and then keep the barrels topped, which means mm -hmm. no oxygen whatsoever because oxygen can then lead to spoilage bacteria mm -hmm. and microorganisms that will turn your wine. So there's a lot of like babysitting the wines mm -hmm. that you just made and then preparing for bottling and bottling is like if you ask nine out of ten winemakers what their least favorite thing to do 
is, it's going to be bottling. Because <laughs> bottling just has so many small parts and it's like harvest in that sense where, so did you order enough bottles? Did you order mm -hmm. enough labels? Did you order enough corks? Do you have enough capsules? Do you have enough people to work the bottling line? You know, like all of these crazy things and it's just a lot of work and it's also it's kind of like the last place where things can go wrong mm -hmm. so for bottling you have to be very on top of you know their your tanks are clean you don't have any oxygen in the tanks your wine is like completely sound you have all of your chemistry numbers are where they need to be because as like until you get it into that bottle anything could happen to it and bottling is just it it's gruesome like we yeah. uh, for the month of february we had two weeks that we were bottling straight and it wow. was just very long because you're standing there all day watching just case after case come down off this belt and you have to stack pallets count everything get your inventory make sure the bottling line has supplies so it's just kind of like this like the ultimate hamster wheel of like yeah. sprinting. Ultimate. And then you're not really yeah. going anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> once, once bottling's complete, it's like a huge load off, and that's where you can really focus on okay, so what does the growing season for, you know, this year look like? Mm -hmm. Like right now, we have bud breaks, so we're starting to pay attention to how the vineyards look health wise, paying attention to are we going to have any frost? How cold is it? and just trying to put out a game plan for okay do we think we're going to get x amount from this vineyard like normal mm -hmm. is it going to be more or less do we need to order more barrels do we need to figure out more tank space like that's what's going on now it's a lot calmer and also in a normal year this would be when i would be on the road like helping to sell the wine going to mm -hmm. restaurants and doing winemaker dinners or going to events and pouring for the masses but of course none of that's happening none right of that's now. happening yeah yeah that's crazy um with with everything that's happened in our area how has how has like you know covid and the fires have how has that impacted the wine industry Dude, Just, last... I, I know i know in the beginning it was it was like what are, what are you guys going to do with that? But I was more concerned about like the fires from the past years. How is, how has that affected you guys? Well, to be perfectly candid, the fires, like they screwed us this year. Yeah. I mean, I, it was very hard because, so I, I work full time for one brand as the enologist, which is basically the, I run all of the analysis in the laboratory I assist the winemaker and making winemaking decisions. And then I'm also, of course, the winemaker for my family's brand and a consulting winemaker for four other brands. Okay. And when the fight, when the Wallbridge fire hit and the smoke really hit, we went out to 50 vineyards more or less and got tons of grape samples to send into the laboratories. And then of course the laboratories were backlogged because everyone was sending in grape samples. Yeah. And so we had to do these little bucket fermentations. They're called micro ferments. And it's where you get like 10 pounds of grapes, crush them into a little um, bucket and basically try to ferment that and make wine. And then you mm -hmm. taste it and smell it and decide if it's smoke tainted. Um, let me put it this way. I did not make any wine aside from some Chardonnay from Russian River, Sonoma Coast, Petaluma Gap, wow. or most of Sonoma County. I also wow. did not make any wine from Napa this year because Napa was hit very hard. Yeah. Um, my client's vineyard on Howl Mountain was not touched by the fire, but it was surrounded by it. Okay. And the thing about smoke taint that a lot of people... We don't really know a lot about smoke taint, but the thing that California has never had to deal with before was, you know, heavy smoke taint. Heavy, and yeah. people don't know enough about the chemistry and how it happens and why it happens. But I researched it. I spent probably about four weeks, like really heavily researching it with, you know, other colleagues and friends and coworkers. And 
what happens is that as the smoke lays over the vineyard, depending on what process it's in, if it's close to being harvested or where it is in the growing process, the smoke will actually go through the grape skins and bind to the sugars, which oh. then means during fermentation, when you break those sugars down, all of those off aromatics are released. Wow. And the number one descriptor for smoke tainted wine is ashtray. I get this like vinyl floor characteristic, just very mm -hmm. artificial, very chemical, really nasty. So unfortunately last year, a lot of people I know and all of my clients who make Sonoma County and Russian River wine didn't make any. Um, same with Petaluma Gap. So Trombetta made no wine, Fendler made no wine, Stress Vines made no wine, McConnell wow. made no wine. Um, job I work for partly part-time made very, very little. We made 20% of normal. So the fires really were worse for us than COVID. And the worst part of all of that was that the growers who didn't have insurance got nothing because oh, if they didn't harvest, they yeah. made money. So they spent all year farming only to be told right before harvest that no one would take their fruit. And wow. there's a federal program that I've been, oh, sorry, there's my dog. Uh -huh. <laughs> sorry, there's, <laughs> there's a federal program called WHIPS wildfire hurricane indemnity program plus and it's actually backed by the us usda and the farmers um, society and what it does will it will provide coverage for people who lost things due to natural disasters and fires which they approved for sonoma county in 17 and 18 but i've been pushing with one of our local congressmen congressman mm -hmm. mike thompson who's an amazing human probably one of the only politicians I like. Yeah. And he, um, he's pushing really hard to get it out of committee and find funding so that we mm -hmm. can get all of these growers who lost, you know, so much. And I think the total was somewhere near like 350 million in losses due to fruit unharvested in Sonoma, just in wow. Sonoma. Like, wow, that's the insane. Fires, the fires were Washington, Oregon, California, mm -hmm. and like all of California. Yeah. There was really no region. Pretty much, yeah. It, it, everywhere you went in California, there was a fire, like it, north, like mid, and then even down south. That's, that's insane. Yeah. So Santa imagine. Barbara was really the only place that was like 100% safe. Um, some of the central coast was pretty good, but like Lake, Sonoma, Napa, Salinas, Monterey areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were devastated by fire. I, yeah, I have I have family that lives in Salinas, and they were <laughs> my my dad and my stepmom. They they could see where the fire was, but it wasn't coming towards them. But they know a, a bunch of people that live out in that area, the Monterey County area, that were just yeah, bro, like that. It was insane. Yeah. So yeah, so wow. it it was. The smoke was much more impactful than COVID. COVID, of course, like from a sales aspect, shut down all of the restaurants, which is a mm -hmm. huge, huge part of your business. Chaotic, you know, yeah. relationship between food and wine. Yeah. And so for a lot of us, we lose, we lost like 50% of our sales outlets and really had to rely on social media and mm -hmm. direct consumer marketing and virtual marketing because mm -hmm. that was the only way we could see people. And it, it was pretty crazy, but you know, the good news is people are staying at home and they're drinking yeah, a lot of wine. Drinking a lot of wine. I know. To do. Like I I mean, I'll even admit, like I had, you know, a weekend with my girlfriend and my husband where we killed, we made like a tower of white claws because what else were we gonna do? We had nothing else to do for the day. <laughs> right? like, yeah. Go for a walk outside. Go for a walk. Like, all right, let's go. All right, let's let's drink. drink. Now. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um is there, what would you say would, uh, is the hardest part about what was, I mean, you kind of mentioned it in the, in your comment, what was the hardest part about dealing with COVID besides the restaurant? Was there anything else to it? I mean, it did get really frustrating. Um, we wear masks at all times in mm -hmm. the winery and like, for the little bit of fermentation that we did have going on and during harvest and when it's hot outside or smoky or whatever, 
it's really hard running around a winery with a mask on your face when you're doing like physical work because mm -hmm. for the grapes you have punch downs which is during fermentation like all the solids float to the top and then you have the juice down here so you're punching the cap which forms down into the juice to add oxygen to the fermentation but also to extract from the skins of the berries for red varietals because that's where all the color and flavor mm -hmm. is and so you're up there like getting a workout in punching down this tank and now you're and you've got co2 and heat rising from the tank and you have this mask on and just everyone is like sweaty and yeah. flushed and hot and just you know trying to being more concerned like for me my big thing was i don't care about myself i care about other people getting sick mm -hmm. and so having that okay, now we need to really sanitize everything and walking around with a spray bottle dedicated to ethanol that we would spray ethanol, on our hands yeah. or anything we touched. And it just, adding those like two or three little steps just made our work so much more tedious. Mm -hmm. And it, it definitely affected a lot of people's morale because like during harvest, one of the fun things to do is you're with a team, like you're all together, you get to yeah. talk at the sorting table, you get to hang out with each other and drink wine on break or like have lunch together and gather in a group and like hang out and help each other out if someone needs help. But this year there was none of that. There was none of the yeah. fun stuff. Like we couldn't do harvest lunches. We couldn't drink wine together. We couldn't, no one wanted to be around each other without their masks yeah. on. Like it was yeah. just, you know, you can all stand around a crush pad six feet apart, but you, you lose part of that fun, team aspect which yeah. that was hands down the worst part of COVID like we built yeah. this the guys at work built this cubicle out of plexiglass that went over the sorting table so all of us were separated by plexiglass and like no one could talk to each other so you're sitting there for hours staring at a belt and sorting fruit and you can't hear anybody so yeah. you're just in your own little world and you can't really listen to music because if something happens you need to be able to hear other people so it was just like, like mindless. It, it was just mind, sounds sounds like just mindless, tedious work exactly. that you can't even like the, the fun part that you said was like it's like here's your work, but what's the fun part of this work it was being with everyone and doing everything together. And this is now like nope, you're take that fun away from you and just do your work. That sounds sounds horrible to me. Yeah, just, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, and like. I'm hoping this year, you know, obviously we're still going to have health concerns and whatnot, but mm -hmm. um, the wine industry is considered essential because we're part of food and beverage production. So a lot of us have gotten our vaccines. Yeah. So I'm really, really hopeful that enough people have their vaccines so that this year is somewhat of a return to normalcy instead yeah, of, for uh, sure. you know, like, I mean, how many times have you walked walked somewhere out of with your out of your car and been like ah oh, crap i forgot my mask like, i know i, I well i mean it. i know my my routine with everything now with work i mean i go to work at five and then like you know i, I work 10 hour days but when I, I i i don't think i've ever take off my mask like at all the only time i do is just to take a drink of water or yeah. eat something really quick but like it's I don't even know what some like even my coworkers. I don't even know what some of their faces look like because all I see is this, you know. All I see is their eyes and up. So it's like it's going to be like a real, a real shock to me when I can see people's faces and and not have a mask on. So, yeah, I totally, I totally get it. It's it's been a crazy, no fun year. I call it last year. So hopefully hopefully i mean i really hope though wine issue because i mean i i've been in the food service business i know what it's i know what a wine can do to just a restaurant and a meal yeah period i know what it can do because i've seen it i've seen i mean there's people that get the sommeliers i mean the biggest nerds of all nerds for beverages <laughs> but like i get i i see people struggle with that kind of stuff and it just you know it breaks my heart because it's i used to be in that industry and it's i feel for everyone that goes through stuff like that so no definitely like same here and that's like it kills me how much the restaurants are hurting and how many have closed because that's you know, that's part of what we live for, right? Like wine is always meant to elevate a meal or elevate an experience. That's the way I look at it. Wine is a food product. Like 
sure, people have glasses of wine by themselves to relax or hanging out with friends, but so much of it is centered around a meal or, you know, a celebration yeah. and doing things like that. And I mean, it's so crazy to think that something so simple as going out to dinner and like eating inside a restaurant is foreign <laughs> to us after this. Yeah. Year. It's <laughs> so it's even, even now, even now with like people are like, yeah, 25% capacity inside a restaurant. I'm like, I don't want to eat inside. Like, I don't want to go inside now. It's just eating inside to me is like my home now. Like, I don't yeah. want to eat inside a restaurant. Like, I'll just eat outside. It's just fine with me. But yeah, it's, it's so, it's it just blows my mind that everything that's happened and how much has changed and how much, how, how much you, t you, you appreciate everything you had before and just, and just everything that's happened and how much more you appreciate it. Yeah. So, everything so i totally get it um is there is there anything that with a winemaker that you um have to explain to someone more about like what you do is like i'm a winemaker and everyone, me a winemaker is just like i pick the grapes press the grapes and here's your wine it's like is there is there more to your job and just like what you've been saying is like is there is there something that no one knows that you you do and then like you tell them that that's what you do in the process is yeah i mean being a winemaker like it's always funny because you have people who make it sound so glamorous like i just mm -hmm. walk around all day smelling wine and tasting mm -hmm. wine and i'm like i come home covered in earwigs in the middle of apartments <laughs> like getting ready to take a shower and an earwig drops on the floor and you're like where were you like what's going on because yeah. you know, bugs in the vineyard yeah. it's you know it's a lot of labor intensive work mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of mental work that goes into it because as you're planning and like the chemistry just the chemistry involved mm -hmm. people don't realize how much chemistry is involved in winemaking because for us to make the informed decisions and do the timing that we need to do it's like i'm constantly looking at glucose fructose numbers what's the ph what's the acidity the different acids in the wine like and then dealing with, okay, um, we want this yeast, but we don't want that yeast. We want this bacteria, but not that bacteria. How do we clean it? How do we prepare for it? Like very similar just with every other food product, but mm -hmm. people for some reason don't understand that it's very much the same for wine, that we're really food scientists more than anything else. And it's just this it's just so funny to me because people are always like, oh, wine, it's so amazing. You just get to drink whatever you want all the time. I'm like, last thing <laughs> I want to do is drink a glass of wine when I come home after I've been yeah. at the winery for 12 and a half hours being covered in grape juice. Like, of course, you know, it's, it's just kind of um, one of those things. And then also you get the whole like, well, I thought an old, a winemaker would be some like old guy who's like working in the winery. What do you mean you're a winemaker? It's like, no, man, like anyone can be a winemaker. It just yeah. comes down to like how hard you work for it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just funny how like people think it's something so glamorous and beautiful when in reality I am yeah. under caffeinated, underfed and dirty as hell during harvest. <laughs> I come home and I, I have a joke where I get to a certain point in harvest because red wine will like stain your skin yeah. uh, because of the acid and it hasn't finished fermenting. So there's just like something really staining about it. And I joke and I'm like, is that wine or blood? <laughs> you know, on my arm. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to this morning. Like, hmm, looking at my arm, I'm like, I don't like lick it or something. But yeah. like, oh, okay, that's wine. Like, oh, okay, that's blood. Like, oh, we're fine. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's normal. It's just a scratch. Don't worry about it. No exactly. big deal. Like, the amount of tanks I run into on a daily basis during harvest trying to speed walk through the winery, it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get a lot of bruises and I'm just oh, like, of course. You know where that came from. Yeah, you know, yeah, of course. You like, you wake up this morning, you have a bruise on your arm. Like, where did that come from the other day? Exactly. Um, is, what What is like the one part of your job that you love the most? in any in all of it just put together i actually really love harvest and i love being able to because every year like when the fruit comes in you really get to you have your plan 
-hmm. and then you reassess as the fruit comes into the vineyard or into the winery from the vineyard whether that be you know white grapes or red grapes and you really get to that's your kind of time as a winemaker to shine is how mm -hmm. much or how little work you have to do that fruit I kind of have a saying that it's really easy to make gold from gold and so that's really my favorite part about winemaking is being able to you know see what the vineyard is producing and then make my plan for how I'm going to make the wine and how that will translate into the end product like that entire process is why I love winemaking so much and you know even in the worst of harvests and the worst time you're out at like dawn walking mm -hmm. a vineyard and you've got your coffee and you're walking through and you're looking at the vineyard and you're you know fog super cold in the morning like there's something very relaxing about it mm -hmm. because you have these few moments of like I'm the only person here right now and these really beautiful moments of clarity no matter how tired you are and that's like my favorite part about winemaking um those little moments and getting to kind of tweak my plan and see how the year goes like there's just something really fun about it and really relaxing because you know you go through the motions of harvest every day but then it's those decisions that end up making what's in the bottle and it seems so insignificant but those little tiny things like all yeah. add up at the end well it, sound, well it sounds like you're it's very like peaceful for you when you go out there by yourself and just inspect the fields and wine yeah. i mean it's just a nice leisurely stroll through the winery and uh you know those i i find i find those little things what you said are like what is why people love what they do it's those little moments that you have just by probably maybe maybe by yourself or maybe with some other people but like sounds like when you're by yourself doing those things it sounds like you're just this is why I, this is why i love it this is why I, I, I love doing what i do so that's that's awesome that's amazing um with with you said you work for like four four different people out of all those people uh, favorite spot to work at or favorite time to work with them is I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get you in trouble with any of them. No, I mean, I'm between two facilities and honestly, okay. like I, I love both. Um, all of my, like my family and my consulting brands are at one facility. And then the other job I work with, I'm at that facility pretty much Monday through Friday, like seven to three 30. And I love both of them equally because mm -hmm. They're both really nice facilities and it's the people that make it and the teams are just amazing. I love who I work with and who I work for. Um, obviously like Trombetta is my family's project and it's, you know, I, working with family can be amazing. It can also be <laughs> incredibly stressful as my husband comes home and the dog starts barking. Um, but you know, like that's also the other part about this is that since I have the freedom to decide who I work with and who I work for, I've been very lucky that I work with really amazing people. And, you know, even, even last year when I had to make those decisions of we're not harvesting and I had to like tell the owners of these brands and these wineries that I was, they were 110%. They were like, that's your decision. We're supporting you. And, you know, this is, this is what you're here for to make those hard yeah. decisions. And so I really like, I don't have a favorite. I, you know, I've been really lucky. Like if you had asked me that question four years ago when I was working for other people, I would have a very different answer <laughs> because there are, there are a lot of amazing people in this industry, but there are a lot of people that aren't great as well. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like on us as an industry to support the people that are amazing and to call out the people that aren't. And so like, I've had to learn that the hard way, but where I am now, I'm so happy and really I have no complaints about awesome. anyone, which is, That's yeah, I love, it. I love all of my clients and everyone I work with. That's great. That's awesome. It sounds, it sounds, it's very inspiring too when you're so like, I love, I mean, you got to love what you do, but you obviously, you got to love where you do your job because I mean. Yeah 
you can you, anyone can have a job and say yeah i have a job but do you love your job do you love who do you work with like i i, I always thought that the people that you work with make they do you they make you they make the job more fun and they make you love your job more and more so yeah. that's no, great that all, you it's all about the people it really mm -hmm. is and all right the wine industry is so much about relationships that it's mm -hmm. like i always kind of joke and i say like this industry is too small to deal with people who are like jerks like yeah it's really too small there's there's no reason to deal with that yeah there are for sure amazing people out here like so yeah is there um i don't i don't want to keep you too long i know you know, your husband just came home you probably want to spend time with him it's it's friday you gotta get your drink get your drink on and stuff like that but is what is one of your favorite wines i'm going to ask you to fire off a couple questions here one of your favorite wines and what uh what do you want to plug for your your brand and your wine and all that kind of stuff so like the two wines that i've been drinking kind of a lot through this last year that are my two recent favorites because mm -hmm. like there's a lot of wine out there and wine is very much a mood thing mm -hmm. um so my good friends have this little brand called delve which is really like it's this really cool little brand and they do a carignan that is absolutely like killer i love some of these offbeat red varietals that people don't really know about um like i love a good cab i i obviously love pinot i make pinot but carignan is super fun and one of my favorite things to drink because it's just like one of those easier to approach reds it's really pretty and um kind of more fruit forward and a little bit easier to drink on mm -hmm. its own and then one of my good friends who's an amazing winemaker uh she has her own brand called reed holland and okay. her Riesling is just like absolutely killer. It's not sweet. It's very refreshing. It's very pretty. Like those are the two wines I've had a lot of during this harvest or harvest during this last year. Um, mm -hmm. I just like have been purchasing bottles every time I can. I'm like, hey, Alice, <laughs> can I get some more Riesling? Can I get some more Carignan? Um, you know, and it's, I also kind of make the joke like, as a winemaker, if I buy wine from someone's brand or from somebody, it's because I love the wine, first of all, mm -hmm. if I'm spending money on it with how much wine I have at home. But number two, it's because I really want to support like really cool su people and yeah. awesome people in this industry. Like if I'm buying your wine, it's to support you, but also because your wine's really good. Um, and then, you know, like obviously Trombetta Family Wines is my main passion project mm -hmm. that I started with my mother in 2010 and we have four Chardonnays and two Pinot Noirs and I love it because I've been able to the Chardonnay is 100% me and my style I was okay. the winemaker who we had a consulting winemaker in the beginning who helped us my mentor and so he kind of helped establish the Pinot style but the Chardonnays are 100% me and what I wanted to do with them so they're kind of like my my children like yeah all my wines are my baby. children but my yeah. chardonnays are the ones i'm the most proud of because those are all my decision making um so i mean my trombetta chardonnay is definitely one of <laughs> people if they want to they want to try my wine and you know figure out what i'm about like try some of the chardonnay or go down to willie's wine bar get a glass of the pinot that they have okay. you know and just like check out trombetta and see what we're about and see who i am as a winemaker all right i i will probably do that i i won't drink the wine i know my wife will there so <laughs> she's she's the wine connoisseur in this house i'm i'm the beer connoisseur so i'll, I'll let her tell me how it is and i'll try i'll try a little i'll okay. try a little don't don't worry i'll i'll i always try i will always try a wine and yeah. i'm just just not one of those people but i will always try it so that's awesome. Well, that's, that's even cooler that like, I mean, to have, to have your thing and like you, you, you are very passionate about what you do, but like, I can see it in your face when you talk about your wine, it's, it's yours. This is mine. Yeah. And like, it's, that's awesome. It's the passion comes out in it and you're saying, this is yours. This is me in a bottle pretty much. And this is all this. So that's awesome. But, you know, thank you for coming on i really do appreciate it for the third time asking you trying to come on this um i 
I hope you guys are safe, you and your husband, and uh, your dog looks like he's better. I, I because I saw a post that he got he got yeah. hit. First, he gets hit by a car, walks away, you... just road rash. Then I yeah. get in a car accident with my truck almost totaled, oh, and man. then my poor husband gets his trailer stolen. Like it's just been a doozy oh, of a month for us. That we're just sucks. We're from- we're in one piece like that's all I can well, that, that's yeah. that's all that matters too so well I hope you all are safe and healthy and you know I hope you have a good year it's, no, thank you. it's March and I hope the rest of this year is good to you guys Let's hope so we fingers, have year this year. <laughs> fingers crossed I, I I'm always pulling for people that are you know in this industry in food food or wine industry I'm always pulling for them because I I want to go back out and eat at yes. like a, I want to eat, eat good. I mean, I eat good food, but I want to, I want to be waited on for one. Yeah, right. I just, I literally, that's like probably the one thing I miss about having just a normal life is like, uh, yes, I will have this, this, and this. Do you want anything else? Oh, yes, I want this, this, and this, please. You know, I, know. I just, I, and it's, and it's not even like going to a restaurant, even going to a sports bar and just have, just, have, having oh. a beer. And yeah, watching a game and crappy beer, like that's yeah, all I want. Yeah, and some crappy food and just screaming at the TV because yeah. they're doing something you don't like and it doesn't matter to anyone else but you right at that moment. So exactly, yeah. I kind of I've been joking with my girlfriend saying like, all I want to do is go to a crappy bar somewhere and drink some PBR and sit. At the <laughs> all i want like oh yeah at that point that's that's all i need and i'll be happy yeah for sure so well thank you again erica i really do appreciate it and yeah, um you know be safe and um I'll talk to you sometime again soon hopefully <laughs> sounds good so. thank you for